This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. Let me give you just some quick background on Billy Bishop, Toronto City Airport, that we're talking about. They're limited on two fronts, really. They can't use jets, three fronts. They can't use jets, um, so they have to be smaller planes. Uh, 600 passengers per 60 minutes is the arrival limit and the departure limit. So some of these, I'm sure you've been on an Air Canada plane that has, you know, about 320 passengers. A, that plane's too big. And B, they don't have the gate capacity. Customs is a breeze, obviously, but it's because the flights are so limited and there's so few of them. Um, And they're closed from 11 o'clock on at night until 640, no pun intended, in the morning. They're not open, basically from 11 p.m. until 7 a.m. You know you've landed before at Pearson, and it's 1.15 in the morning or 1.35. Would somebody in a condo near Billy Bishop think, oh, my gosh, that, you know, I'd love to get to sleep, but there's a plane landing at 1.15. I hear it every single Wednesday. I don't have an answer to that, um, but obviously there's still all this talk about a potential expansion for it. April Engelberg uh, joins us on uh, Toronto Today. Um, what do you think? There's there's a lot of back and forth on it. Um, we'd love the convenience for, for us being downtown, but do you think it's, it's something that uh, is a lot further away from a reality? Good morning, Greg. So what we're reading about now for the Billy Bishop Airport is not really an expansion. It's just a safety precaution. So it's just a minor extension of the runway that would mean possibly filling in more of the lake. But it's it's really just about safety at this point. But but they have to reopen the deal, don't they? And that will lead to no doubt a lot of sort of scratching and clawing at the door to say, why not extend the hours? Why can't we go to more destinations and why can't we have bigger planes? That probably happens. That that debate was clearly spurred along by uh, Mr. Polyev two summers ago. It's possible. I think that Port Serrano is going to be more interested in just keeping uh, public support for the airport and making sure that the airport lasts past the New Deal of 2033. So I don't think that they're going to be pushing for too much of an expansion or jets or whatnot. I think it'll just be some safety protocols. But I don't know. I'm not Port Toronto. What's the average downtowner say about about Porter and, uh, and, and the airport itself? Are they worried about noise? Are they worried about congestion? What's the biggest worry? So although we see so much in the news about people opposing it in general, the reality is over 80% of people down in the area of, of the airport, so right downtown, support it. Because we use the airport. So mm-hmm. I personally support it. I, I like the airport. I think that it's convenient for everyone. It doesn't cause too many disruptions. So I think it will get renewed, and I think any changes would be very minor, but that's just my prediction. Interesting stuff. Um, all right. Um, th- we saw this, and I know you, you referenced uh, Ed Keenan's uh, sit-down with uh, with Mayor Olivia Chow. She was on our show last week as well. Um, just talking about what's realistic, and it gets into budget discussions because things are moving really quickly uh, for the city when it comes to budget. What did you make of some of her comments, and what did you make of the reality, which is a harsh one and an economic one, um, that Toronto's facing April? Yeah, so what we're seeing is there's going to be budget consultations and Mayor Chow is pushing for lots of people to come and, you know, tell the federal government and the provincial government what you think, what matters to you, et cetera. What it looks like to me is kind of a PR move because 
as we all know, our city doesn't have money. Olivia Chow's main thing so far since she's been elected is trying to get money from federal and provincial government, because the more money that she gets from them, the less that she either has to cut or the less that she has to increase property taxes, right? So I think a big goal of these budget consultations is really just to get more press for how much Toronto wants money from other levels of government. Huge risk in a lot of projects. I mean, the World Cup's the obvious example, but but even the the uh, the waterfront uh, LRT that you and I talked about a couple of weeks ago, right now there's no federal commitment, there's not even a provincial commitment, and we just push forward. And we have to push forward with some transit projects, um, but it's got a real risk-reward element to it, doesn't it, April? Definitely. So what we're seeing a lot of what happens at city council, this isn't that new, but I'm really noticing it now. So much of what we see happen at city council meetings is approving projects that aren't actually funded by other levels of government. Mm. I mean, the, the World Cup was a great example, but yes, even the waterfront LRT or the housing plan or whatever it is, so much of what happens is, yes, we're going to do this, but no, we don't have the money yet. Or so many other motions that are passed at city council are, we request that the federal government does this. We request that the provincial government does this. So there's a lot, there's just a lot um, preventing city council of, from accomplishing what it wants to do because it doesn't have money. I made the case this feels a little, a little small town-ish, e, whatever the word is. Um, and I bring that up because you're not going to see the provincial government get elected, um, let, like let's say last summer in 22, and then say, hey, Tell us what to do with with your money. It doesn't happen terribly. You mentioned it may be a, a PR move, but I also look and and, and go, um, it's not very practical. The goal of government is we set an agenda. You decide as the public if you like it or not. And if you want to make noise, of course, that's your right. Definitely. And it, yeah, it is a bit small towny considering we are a huge city to have these public consultations on budget. I, on one hand, you can look at it like, okay, it, it's, it's nice. We're trying to get... Um, civic engagement and whatnot, but a lot of that could potentially be done online. Um, mm. So I, I do very much think it's just a way to get more press about how much the city needs money. April Engelberg joining us on Toronto today. Thanks so much for the time this morning. We always appreciate you getting up early and we'll, uh, we'll be in touch. Thanks so much, Greg. Happy uh, day. Awesome to have her. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Well, the jury has spoken and we now have to review the rulings that were made uh, to determine whether or not there will be further proceedings and whether or not an appeal will be taken. Uh, as you've all seen, Mr. Nygaard is, uh, is frail, has uh, numerous health challenges, and that will be part of the uh, position taken when we come back in a number of weeks with respect to uh, what sentence would be appropriate in the circumstances. And uh, uh, right now it's a matter of uh, considering the outcome and considering whether the rulings will dictate uh, an appeal. Okay, that's uh, Brian Greenspan, the defense attorney of Peter Nygaard. We'll see where this goes. Uh, Sensing hearing begins today. It's a lengthy process, uh, but he's 82 years old, convicted of four very heinous crimes. No talk of appealing. So uh, they're looking at this process as going, what's the appropriate sensing for an 82-year-old whose health has gone downhill, but, but we've seen in courtroom proceedings, Harvey Weinstein in the States, that considerable example, there's often um, 
how would I put it, uh, innuendo that perhaps there's an exaggeration of where the person's health is. Not for me to say, and not for our next guest to say either, but he knows more about this process than I do and most of us do. He is Joseph Newberger, criminal defense lawyer and partner with Newberger and Partners. It's great to have you on our show. Thanks very much for the time. My pleasure. Good morning. How long could um, a sentencing, uh, how long could the sentencing run span? Could we not even know before the end of the calendar year or do you expect it way before then? No, I, I think that's a, a fair estimate. I think it should be probably in a new year. Um, you can imagine from the Crown side, they have, you know, four um, individuals who are now victims based on the jury's verdict. So they're going to want to put in victim impact statements. They may, in fact, want to read them in. So those materials have to be prepared. The Crown has to put together their brief of case law to establish what's an appropriate sentence. And the defense has to put together compelling medical evidence about his uh, Mr. Nygaard's current medical conditions and prognosis, as well as their case law. So I would imagine a sentencing would take more than a day. It probably would be something that would be about two days. Um, and and something like that, I, I think trying to get that done before the end of this year would be rather difficult. I, I think we're looking probably early into January. I mentioned um, Greenspan, Joseph, made no bones about it, really, that the advanced age of the uh, of, of the of the convicted person and his health um, are they'll lean on that. Is that is that, you know, fair game to do that? Or will some people say you should punish an 82 year old the same way you would a 42 year old? You know, it's, a, it's an excellent question. I, I mean, there's two competing factors here. You always have to take into consideration the particulars of an offender, and that would include health. And if there are serious medical conditions, then that has to be taken into account. You know, the other side is these are uh, heinous offenses for which has been convicted. And so there has to be proportionality compared to other sentences for people. And we shouldn't really distinguish too much based on age. But we do take into consideration health. But the other factor, frankly, is these are historic allegations. Some go back many decades. Had these been brought earlier, I'm not being critical, but had they been brought earlier, he would be much younger. And a sentence, you know, in the range of, let's say, eight to 10 years could be very much a death sentence for this gentleman. So I think his infirmity and, and prognosis with respect to his health must be taken into consideration by a court. Joseph Newberger is our guest on 640 Toronto. Um, I heard somebody parallel this to, because it's recent and he was a known commodity, Jacob Hogard, the former Headley singer, got five years in prison. He was sentenced about a year ago at this time after being found guilty on one count of assaulting an Ottawa woman. But I'd bring that up to note, he's a much younger person and he'll be able to, you know, get out in his early to mid 40s and and maybe live another 45, 50 years. And, and Peter Nygaard doesn't have that option, does he? That's correct. And a range of sentence for, you know, something of this nature is probably around four to five years, maybe a bit less. Um, mm. But then you have to consider there's four complainants. So you can't stack all of them on top of it. But you have to have a you have to have a sentence that takes in consideration, you know, the injury and damage to both to all these complainants. So I think we're really looking at something in the range of seven, eight years, you know, maybe as high as 10. But I'm, I'm imagining something around eight years. But it's very serious for somebody who's 82. It's um, I don't think because you're so smart, it's not out of your jurisdiction <laughs> to uh, to weigh in. Um, but it, in a case where an elderly person, man or woman, is sentenced to longer terms, harder time, are there circumstances in prison any different than the general population? Yeah, that, well, that's another good question. So, yes, they're they're pretty good medical units. Um, they would be assessed when they go in. And if they're medical 
um, condition is quite severe, they can be put into a range which would have, I mean, you know, they're not, they have medical ranges. So you can be in there if there's particular medical issues that need to be taken care of. They do have access to, uh, of course, the facilities in Kingston surrounding areas. Um, but that would be taken into consideration as to whether it's in maximum, medium, or minimum. So all those will come into consideration. Joseph Newberger, our guest partner with Newberger and Partners, criminal defense lawyer. Thanks very much for your insight on this, uh, Joseph. I appreciate you coming on. Always a pleasure. Have a good morning. It is great to have you. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Billy Bishop Airport is going to evolve. There's going to be potentially uh, an, a reopened debate about what it is and what it should be. Um, Ports Toronto says they may need to reopen the deal because the airport needs longer runways. Very happy to welcome on a 640 contributor and she's former mayoral candidate, deputy mayor, Anna Bailao joining us on Toronto Today. It's always great to talk to you, Anna. Thanks for making the time for our show. Good morning, Greg. Always great to be here. What do you make of uh, of the story? Is this just about runway spacers or a little tapping at the door to wonder if we could expand the airport out to handle bigger flights and to handle more volume? What do you see? Well, what I see is that uh, we have an airport that is a great contributor to the economy here, and especially at a time when the downtown is still very much recovering from the pandemic. It has huge challenges. Uh, we need to have the airport to support the economic, uh, the, the tourism uh, growth of, of our downtown. And so the decision is, are we going to continue to have the airport or not? They have to extend the runways for safety reasons by 2027. They have to make this investment. So um, as any business person can understand, are you going to make an investment not knowing what's going to happen to you after 2027? 33? No. So that's the reason why uh, you need to have the conversation about the agreement to ensure that uh, that the investment is done and, and the airport can continue to operate. Will it open the door to other conversations? Um, I'm sure that the conversations will happen, but it also opens the opportunity for the city to tackle the issues uh, as it has done in the past, the noise, uh, the uh, making sure that we use the cleanest technology. You know, the technology that we have today is very different from the technology that we had when the agreement was first uh, introduced. So all these things uh, need to be taken into consideration. And if the principles are the same, that this is a smaller airport that, you know, is an urban airport, that mm. noise issues need to be taken in consideration, environmental issues need to be taken in consideration, how do we have the greenest airport? I think this is an opportunity. But there, the decision is, do we continue to have the airport or we do nothing and just expect it to be shut down? Does the city, Anna, have the final say on most things or all things to do with, with how the airport operates? No, this is a tripartite agreement, so the federal government will be involved as well. Ports uh, Toronto, so the city will be in, the the city will also be involved. So it's, there's there's level different levels that will be involved, um, but obviously the city will 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 have a a, a big say, and it will lead uh, as they have already um, mentioned, you know, public consultations, the involvement of the community, which the community has been quite involved. Uh, in the last few years, there has been a lot of work done with the local community in terms of of, uh, of noise issues and and how the, the the growth has been happening in these last few years. That that has been part of a plan that was put in place, and it needs a plan needs to be put in place for for the future as well. If if the agreement is open, how this airport grows and grows as an urban uh, airport um, needs to be taken consideration. I, I don't think anybody would, would mm. dispute that. But the question is, do we, do we have the conversation so that we can 
uh, gives certainty that this airport that creates thousands of jobs in downtown. I mean, I saw a report not too long ago that said, you know, it's 21,000 jobs that the airport uh, uh, supports and it's a uh, $3 billion uh, for our GDP. You know, in, in the times that we're living and the way that our downtown is right now and, and the way that it's changing, right? Downtown yeah. are changing. People are working in different ways. So are we going to have to rely more um, in, in a different kind of downtown in the future, one that relies more on, on tourism, on residential? And so how do we have this airport adapting and supporting a vibrant downtown. I, I kind of stiffen up when some of the critics say we don't really need it, and and they really got the they put more emphasis on that, Anna, when um when Porter started flying uh, flights out of Pearson. But I just look and say that's a company that's balancing themselves, levering themselves, leveraging themselves out, and trying to get the most people on their planes. That's their job. But but I, to your point, don't we still really we have to have this airport viable and functional, don't we? I, I think, again, talking about, you know, our tourism industry, our business community in the downtown, uh, how we're competing with cities around the world that have these kinds of airports, mm-hmm. I think it is a really important feature to have in our city. The amount of jobs that it creates, the amount of GDP that it creates for our economy, it is something that uh, that we need to continue to to make sure that it's there to support uh, the mm-hmm. different industries that it supports. Anna Bailao, thanks for the chat. Really appreciate you coming on. I know we're talking later this week, but thanks for this morning. Thank you. Always a pleasure. Uh, There's Anna Bailao.